So good to be with you. Good to see you. Let's go to John 13. Uh, do you like Mike Rowe? You know who that is? Guy that's got this great baritone voice, speaking voice. And uh, I, Dan, I think you're right. I think I don't think he made his name doing Ford commercials. I think he made his name doing dirty jobs, I think. Okay, so here are some, here are some examples of Mike Rowe dirty jobs. I, you know, okay. Um, sewer inspector, Wayne. Okay, I've been down there. I don't want to go down there again, you know. Uh, uh, pig farmer, I've seen that one. Uh, I, I used to live in central Kentucky, and uh, uh, there, when, they, when they cleaned out the pig barns in Paris, uh, you could smell it for miles. Can you imagine being a pig farmer? Okay, uh, pig farmer, by the way, talked to the prodigal son about that. He didn't like it very much either. Hot tar roofer, can't imagine doing that one. I've seen those guys, and they're usually working where it's hot already. Um, Roadkill cleaner. <laughs> Sausage maker. Uh, now that sounds pretty benign, but I bet that's pretty nasty, you know. Huh? No, no, they're, they're, they're separate deals. They're, they're not associated. Now I think those are two different things, Cindy. I, I really do. Yeah. I, I think roadkill cleaner, comma sausage maker. Yeah. Um, I think. And the the worst one that I read in my notes about this was. Bat guano collector. What are you collecting it for? So anyway, I, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to Ace Hardware. I'm not going to use that for anyway. So I started that to say he does things. He made his name doing things that nobody wants to do. We're going to see the King of the Universe doing a job that nobody wanted to do. In John 13, let me give you a little bit of background. The Apostle John was one of Jesus' closest associates. When he identifies himself in Scripture, he'll often identify himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, you're one of those too. <laughs> you know? But isn't it wonderful that he wouldn't even call his own name? He would just say, I'm the, I'm the one that he loved. Uh, Jesus trusted him enough, you remember this, to at the, at the foot of the cross, Jesus entrusted him enough to say, Take care of my mother. Uh, what I didn't know until I was reading about it this week, church tradition tells us that, uh, I, I knew this, that John later moves to the great city of Ephesus where he, um, you know, he became an old, he was the only one of the disciples to live into old age. And uh, he lives in Ephesus and he had Mary there with him, I understand. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's tradition. So how do we know it's true? But isn't it a wonderful thought that for the rest of his life, he did what Jesus charged him to do from the cross? Well, he ministered there for years. He died sometime between 95 and 100 AD. His exile to Patmos is well known uh, to us. We read about it in the book of Revelation. He wrote five books in the Bible. Um, the Gospel of John from where we'll be today 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are letters to the church, and then the book of Revelation. So he, he wrote a significant part of uh, the New Testament. Um, there are four Gospels. I've 
got a young man that I was working with this week that I got started just reading the gospel. He's never read the Bible before. So I gave him a Bible and started him reading the gospel. And I started him actually in the gospel of Mark because it tells the story quicker. It's 16 chapters instead of 20 some. But, but if I had put him in John, I would realize that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story kind of similar uh, we call those the synoptic gospels because they share some source material. But John's telling of the story is quite different. And um, um, none of those are valued over the others. It's just different. He shared uh, things that the others didn't share. John stands alone, his book, his gospel, with a lot of unique content probably written after the other three, um, likely between 90 and 94. So you think about this, it was the end of the first century as John, as an old man, is looking back on what he remembers of the master. That's kind of a wonderful thought. Um, so all four gospels have a retelling of the Last Supper, interestingly, uh, but the earliest surviving account is actually from Paul, where he writes about it in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, he describes the Last Supper from material that he learned from Jesus himself, he'll say, in Matthew eleven twenty three, 23. And he tells that really early, about 25 years after it happened. Well, um, the way the other Gospels tell that story are pretty similar. The way John tells the story is quite different. Okay, we know he was there. We know he was probably seated right beside the master. We know he had um, a, a bird's eye view of everything that's going on. So the focus of the other accounts is the bread and cup that we celebrated in church last week. But rather than uh, the institution of the elements of the Lord's Supper, John includes two things that the others leave out from what happened in uh, the upper room, okay, it, during that Last Supper. He includes what we're going to study today, uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he also includes some teaching, nearly five chapters of teaching and a lengthy prayer that are not in the other three Gospels. And I don't know what my life would be like without John 13 through John 17. I really don't. Um, um, Janie, you've been around me uh, in dozens of funerals where I, I, I can't do a funeral without John 14, 1 through 3 and, and verse 27. And, uh, so all that came in John's account of the Last Supper. He's thinking back, remembering what Jesus said. So, so here we are. So uh, that's kind of where we're going to be today. So let's kind of pick it up at verse 1. Uh, I'll try to keep my eye on time, let you out of here by quarter after or so, which is our normal time to get out of here and give you time to, to, to get to church at 9.30. But um, Brother Blair, would you mind to read the first 11 verses of this? I know that's a pretty good chunk, but it's not too long. It was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no water. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. Interesting to me, um, beautiful teaching and beautiful action here that we'll, we'll talk about. I want you to go back with me to, um, um, I, I put three different references I'm going to refer to. So I'm just going to go back to seven and to eight. So in seven, six, so Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. In uh, 830, okay, so eight, chapter eight, verse 30, Jesus is going to say a similar thing. You're going to hear him say this over and over. Um, um, okay, Actually, from the wrong spot. Seven six, and then I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to seven eight. Um, read my own notes wrong. Um, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up this feast because my time is not yet fully come. Uh, now go to uh, verse thirty, same chapter. In three chapters, he says in in, in uh, three times in this same chapter. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him. Verse thirty, because his hour had not yet come. Uh, so it's interesting that Jesus, um, even John comments on it earlier, and Jesus says it uh, several times. Hang on a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that because my time has not yet come. Uh, he'll slip through crowds because he'll say my time has not yet come. And yet here in, in um, uh, John 13, 1, his time has come. It's going to say, his time. John's going to give us that detail, that his time has fully come. All right, so what I need us to think about here is that Jesus certainly clearly knew, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, he knew who he was, and he knew when his time had come. Nobody was going to force him into this. Uh, as you read the Gospels and as you read the work of the Jewish Sanhedrin and the... Um, the uh, high priest and others that were puppeting the high priest. And as you read uh, about Pontius Pilate and their work and the Roman soldiers who carried out the awful deed, you got to realize that Jesus fully accepted this. He knew when his time was coming, and it's now coming close, he says in John 13. This is going to be Thursday night before the crucifixion on Friday. Now, so, um, what are they commemorating here in the upper room? Passover. Passover, which is, as best I can say it, and I don't want to unspiritualize it, but I want you to understand it in terms of the nationalism of Judaism. This was Independence Day. 
okay? This was their July 4th. But it had not only a political meaning, but it had a deep, deep spiritual meaning. And all you gotta do is go back and read the book of Exodus to kind of discover that. Um, so um, this was their salvation. And so it was not only an Independence Day feast and being independent from Egypt, bondage from um, way back there in 1500 or so BC, but it was also their salvation feast. God saved us. So um, what I began to think about this week is how poignant this is that they're celebrating Jewish independence, but they're under Rome's boot. Think about that. Now that's going to fuel a lot of what has gone on in Jesus' entire ministry. And even some of the guys in the room really wish he would do more than he did politically. Yet they're celebrating this glorious salvation and independence on Passover. So he knew where, who he was, certainly. Don't believe it when you uh, watch the History Channel and they do some profile of Jesus and have you know, some scholar who's supposed to know what they're talking about, and they'll say, Jesus really never claimed to be. The disciples made that up years later. Uh-uh, okay? He knew who he was. It says so right here. We'll see another verse where it says this. Now, uh, he's going to say some harsh words in verse 2. What do you think? was the motivation of Judas. Can I, can I get somebody to go to Matthew 26, 15 in just a minute? Let me read that. Cindy, you read it, okay? Uh, John, can I get you to go back a chapter to 12, 6? We'll read that in a minute because it'll give us a little insight into Judas' motivation. What do you think was Judas' motivation before we read this stuff? I, I, th I think a couple of gospel writers make it really clear that Judas was skimming money. He was, he was holding the money bag and he was spending time on himself. We know that the betrayal price involved money. Okay. Uh, well, let's read these two passages. Uh, Cindy, would you go to Matthew 26, read verse 15? Okay. The sellout. There are lots of things that probably motivating Judas, but money was one of them. Uh, John, read 12, 6 from John. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself. How did John know this? Well, he knew it later. He probably didn't know it at the time. But remember, he's writing in 90 or so AD. He's writing several years, several decades after this happened, after it all kind of came out. Okay. You think, Jude, you think Jesus knew it all along? You know, that one of, the, one of the huge theological questions, I've got an answer for it, I'm not going to give it to you, but um, <laughs> uh, why did Jesus include Judas in this feast? That part of God's plan? I believe, and I, I think I've got evidence of it, that actually Jesus sat Judas right beside him. I believe that during this evening, think about Jesus washing Judas' feet 
in this story. I think Jesus was trying to woo Judas all night long. Woo him. You know you don't have to do this. They're going to get me anyway. <laughs> you know, I really believe it. And I think I've got some evidence of that. All right, so what motivated Judas? The Bible says, John says here, the devil motivated him, didn't he? Doesn't he? See what he says there? Now, what you need to realize is that devil, regardless of what was going on in Judas's heart, um, he had betrayed, uh, already betrayed Jesus in his heart. And that betrayal had been put there by Satan. There is a real battle going on in these chapters as there is from uh, nine months before Jesus was born. There is a battle going on between heaven and hell. It's still going on. But in this week of history, there is certainly a battle going on with the devil saying, if I can get this guy to sell him out and we can get him murdered, then we can end all of this. Did he succeed? It's at least 2,020 years later, and we're still talking about it. I don't think he succeeded at all, Dan. He absolutely did, but he absolutely didn't. <laughs> he didn't wipe the message out, did he? We're still talking about it. I still read it every day. So let's go down to verse 3. I think it's really, really important here. Uh, verse 3 gives us some insights into Jesus' mind. Now, I don't pretend to ever think I know Jesus' mind. John says some things that indicate that he knows, knows kind of what was going on in John's mind. What I want you to understand is, um, is uh, and, and um, Gene Butenhoff will understand this. If, if John Kimber was here today, he'd understand this fully. This is not a statement at verse 3 that he's making, like I would say, um, Steve Seaton, being a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, is hopeful for the future. Okay? In spite of, so what I'm saying there is, in spite of, Mike, you get it. <laughs> in spite of the fact that I'm a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, I mean, how silly would I be to, I mean, it couldn't be worse. In spite of the fact is what I just said, right? When I said Steve Seaton, being a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, is hopeful for the future. What you read into that is in spite of the fact, right? You need to not read that in verse 3. The language of the Bible is saying specifically because of who he was and what he knew he was about to do. Not in spite of, okay? So, so look at verse 3 again just real quickly. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. He knew all that. He knew he was the prince of the universe. What does the prince of the universe do? That's what we're being taught here in verse four and beyond. So he knew he was in control. Here, here's your, your blanks to be filled in. He knew he was in control. He knew his origin, where he came from. He knew his destiny, where he was going back to. So it was because of all these things that he did what he did beginning in verse 5. So 
Why do you think he did what he did in verse 4 and 5? Okay, read it. Oh, Brad, you are a gentleman and a scholar. I was thinking of this verse earlier, and I didn't even have it in my notes. But you're absolutely right. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. <laughs> wow. You wouldn't let anybody there wash his feet. What does the prince of the universe do when he can do it? And he can do whatever he wants to do. He serves. Everybody else. He came to serve. Matthew 20, 28. Isn't this, what a wonderful insight into who he was and what he came to do. By the way, no good host in the first century would have omitted this. No good host. And remember, they lived in an arid land in, in a, a sandy area of the world and they wore sandals. So they've already eaten dinner and nobody took care of this menial task. Why? Because there was no servant there to do it. Think about that for a minute. Literally what these guys were used to is the lowest servant in the house did this. But nobody did it because there were no servants in the house. It was only the 13 of them as far as we know. So who served? The master of the universe served because, Brad, that's what he does. Don't you love him? Aren't you moved by just who he is as well as what he does? I don't want to take anything away from the cross. I can't. Most magnanimous thing done in the history of humanity. But don't lose this either. So, so in my understanding of what begins in verse 6, Jesus has gone around and he's washed every disciple's feet and he's looked straight in their eyes and he may not have said anything. It's silent. In fact, all eyes in the room are riveted on Jesus and they're all scratching their head about what is he doing. But you know, the one who always breaks the silence broke the silence in verse six, okay? The guy who's always the first to speak speaks here. <laughs> so he kind of pushes back and he breaks the silence of the moment by um, kind of protesting. Now, what you've got to realize is that what I understand was going on in the room was probably embarrassing to them. Look at 1313. 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. Lord, capital L. This is not a Lord of a manor. This is not a Lord of an estate. This is the Lord. So there was probably some embarrassment in the room. The master becomes the slave. And so Peter pushes back. And Jesus in verse 7 says, you know, pal, there's more here than you can probably understand. You're going to get it, he says in verse 7, but it'll be a while. I wonder when Peter finally came to understand what happened to him in John 13. Maybe. 
Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe by the time he started to share the message. But I don't think, Cindy, I don't think it happened maybe before then, uh, you know? It may even be later than that. It, it may have been after the ascension when they're sitting around musing on what, it, you know, I was in, a, I was in a, uh, a meeting this week, kind of a casual meeting. Somebody walked in and, and we've had an exchange and there were a couple other people in the room. And when the person left who had come in the room and talked to us, I looked at the other two people and said, what just happened? Uh, it was just like, what was that? Uh, I imagine they had a lot of conversations after the ascension where they said, what just happened? I think this is the Emmaus Road experience. What just happened to us? There's a lot more here than we can probably understand. Uh, Peter would know later, so Cindy, here's, he's going to know, Peter is going to know, um, he's going to know about betrayal. He's going to know about the arrest. He's going to know about crucifixion. Peter is going to know about the empty tomb. And Peter is also going to know about his own betrayal, but he doesn't know it here. Jesus just says, you'll get it later. <laughs> How wonderful. You'll get it later. So, what really needs to be cleaned? Now, I need to spend some time here. Uh, I need somebody to go to Psalm 51. Somebody feel like going. John, can you go over to Psalm 51 for me? There's a little section I want us to read from David's confession prayer. But um, what really needs, so in verse 8, Jesus says, um, Never shall you wash my feet. And Peter answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Uh, he's not saying he's going to leave him out. I don't, I don't think so. But he's, he's saying that we all need to be cleaned. We need to be clean, forgiven. We all need it whatever it is, okay? And, um, and so uh, what I realize here is that Jesus can make me clean. Um, John, so David, after his great sin, writes two confessional prayers that are recorded for us in the book of, in, in the, the collection of the Psalms. 51 is this one that talks so much about being clean. Would you mind to read 10 down to 17 from Psalm 51? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will Turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Create in me a clean heart. Renew my spirit within me. Only God can do that. Only the one who was washing feet in this scene could do that. The only one ever. And so Peter realizes in verse 9 the need to be completely clean. 
the blood, I, I, I put a reference in Revelation 7, 14. We won't go there right now. But the idea is that the blood of the lamb can wash me completely clean. And here's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world right there. Now, I'm going to use a kind of a 75 cent um, uh, theological word here. So by, by 75 cent, it's bigger than a 50 cent word. You know, sometimes why use it? I used to have a philosophy professor in college who'd say, why well, use a 10 cent word when you can use a 50 cent one? Okay, so this is a 75 cent one, all right? You know, um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm too simple to get most of that, but, but I'll use one here, okay? Um, uh, Peter now understood the need to be completely clean. And so what Jesus is saying in verse, verse 10 he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Um, when, I've, when I've read that out of context, I've thought when he said not all of you, he's talking about, well, wait a minute, you're pretty clean, but your feet are dirty. Uh, he's not talking about that. He's talking about not everyone in the room is clean. I think that comes pretty clear when we look at verse 10, uh, verse 11. But what you need to realize, I, I think about this, before they went to the temple in their day, they would wash ceremonially and be completely clean. But what happened on the way to the temple? Their feet got dirty. Isn't that interesting? They weren't completely clean. And yet Jesus is offering, even when they went to worship, they weren't completely clean. But Jesus was offering the privilege, the honor to be completely clean. Here's my 75 cent word. Glenda, you were grinning at me a minute ago. Sanctification. My mom, when I was growing up, Ron and I were talking, I'm out of plum jelly at my house. And I love plum jelly. Why do I love plum jelly? Because Sally made plum jelly and it was the best ever. So occasionally, so they'll give me a jar of plum gel, sand plum jelly, which is really, really good, or, you know, whatever. I can buy it at Crest, but it's not quite the same. But mom would buy, um, she would buy, you know, in, in every, come on, you guys grew up in Oklahoma. Some of you grew up in Oklahoma. If you grew up in California, this may not have been the case. But if you grew up in Oklahoma, probably at, at a certain time in your life, probably in the cupboard, there were jelly jars in the cupboard that you used to drink water out of it. Am I the only person here that had that experience? Ice tea. No, I still, it would be, okay, so I'm talking about the little guys, but, but okay. But, okay, so, so if you were to go mow the, rake leaves today and get really parched, and you came in the kitchen and opened the cupboard, and a Waterford crystal goblet was there, or a jelly jar, which one are you going to choose? Now, I've got to give you some other detail. When you looked at the Waterford Crystal goblet, it's coated with mud and crud. And the jelly jar is sparkling clean. Which one are you going to drink out of? I'm going to drink out of the jelly I'll probably drink out of the jelly jar anyway, but okay. Because it's clean. The blood of Jesus cleans you up so that you're useful to him. Can you hear me? 
The blood of Jesus that sanctifies you makes you fit to be used by him. Oh, I may not be as pretty as a Waterford goblet, but he's sure cleaned me up, you know, to where he can use me. Jesus is going to say in verse 11 that one in the room was not clean. Judas wasn't clean. Don't push me on this. I know I'm right. He could have been clean. Can you hear that? Yeah. He could have been clean. Okay, John, can I come back to you and let you read, uh, really, verse 12, 9 through 15 from John 13. And we'll end up. When he had, when he had finished washing your feet, put on his clothes and return to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. For I give you an example that you should also do as I do, did to you. Jesus asserts his rightful position. He's the only Lord in the room. <laughs> He's the only Lord in this one too, okay? The only Lord in the room. And it's like he sits back down after he does this, sits back at the supper table and looks around and says, what just happened? Now, I put, and he, in verse 15, he leaves us an example for all of us to follow. He just says, follow me, do this. When I was growing up, I, I, I left the, the question in your notes of how long has it been since you've done this. Uh, growing up, I did this. The, the group of churches that I grew up a uh, part of, of which this church is a part, we literally on, uh, on uh, uh, Maundy Thursday every year, would reenact the, the, the upper room, the washing of feet. It was, it was quite a moving experience. So I did that from the time I was a little kid, um, even through my adult years. And, and we used to do it some here, uh, and, and they may do it in, in kind of isolated um, things here um, these days. I'm not saying that you've got to do that to be a follower of Jesus, but we did that before. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. So what I would ask you now is if he says, if I've done this to you, then you do it to somebody else. Is this talking only about washing somebody's feet or is it talking about somebody else, something else in service? And I think it probably does. So now, how do I live out John 13, 14? How long has it been since I've washed somebody's feet in some way? He just calls us to follow. He says, follow me, and following him means service. Now, I'm going to read verse 34 and 35 as we close, but um, um, well, here's what he says. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will the world know that you and I know him? It's by doing what he did. What did he do? He did things like this. Served when nobody else did. Gave when nobody else did. He calls us to follow. So if I get this right, the one who loves best left us a supreme example right here. You and I simply, if, if verse 34 and 35 are true, and I know they are because they're in red, if you and I are gonna follow him, then we must love. And I gotta every day ask him what that means. I gotta with every person I know, ask him, Lord, what does that mean? How do I love him? How do I love her? And they won't know it. They won't know that you know him unless you serve. Well, we'll keep talking about this issue of love in the weeks to come, okay? Hang with me. Have a great Sunday. I'm going to put my mask on because Rhonda told me to, okay? Have a great Sunday. See you next week.